You're listening to episode 8 of the Almost Sideways podcast. On this podcast, Terry, Todd, and Zach each review a film. Zach reviews The Florida Project. Todd reviews Thank You For Your Service. And I review Thor Ragnarok. We invite Adam of AlmostSideways.com onto the podcast to discuss power rankings of dark comedies. We do a recasting of the classic Matt Damon, Ben Affleck film Goodwill Hunting. And we have yet another Oscar showdown from Todd and Zach on the 1939 Oscars. All this coming up on the Almost Sideways podcast. Here we go. Give me a go, no go for launch. There's a new fiesta in the making as we speak. I was going to say something that was not true. Obviously, I agree. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast, episode eight. I'm joined once again by my brother, Todd Plucknett. Todd, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good so far. Seahawks didn't play today, so, you know, it's a, it's a boring Sunday. Boring Sunday, but it was an eventful Saturday for sure. All right, and uh, yeah. we also have completing the tripod once again, Mr. Zach Saltz. How's it going, Zach? I'm doing great. I feel really good about this podcast. I feel like I'm going to nail some of our contests later in this episode, especially when it comes to predicting Adam. I feel like I really know him well. Oh, Zach, Zach, Zach. I don't know, man. I, I work with him. I, I know him pretty well. You think you do, but maybe <laughs> you don't know him at all. all right, good yes, later on in this podcast coming up, we will be doing another power ranking where we try to guess Adam's list and... We will have Adam on with us to reveal his list in person, or in audio. Yeah. He will be uh, revealing no, his we're list totally himself. totally in the same room right now. All four of us, we're in the same room. Same room. We are all in the same room right now. That is one exactly. giant room that spans half the country. It's called the internet. All right. Um... Once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please rate and review us so we can be heard by more listeners. Uh, you can also find us at almostsideways.com. Uh, you'll find our database of movie ratings and reviews there, as well as our Almost Sideways sports section, which talks about all sorts of different things, sports. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Almost Sideways. You can find almost all of us on Twitter, except for Todd. Uh, you can find Adam at the Almost Sideways uh, YouTube channel, as well as the Red and Brown podcast, to complete the Almost Sideways family of networks. With all that said, uh, let's get started and jump right into our movie reviews. I love this movie so much. Some really excellent performances. He saved the day! Movie reviews! For this podcast, we decided not to necessarily all review the same film. We didn't get all get out and see the same thing. We'll try and do that next time. But we all have a film that we want to talk about on this podcast. And, Zach, I'm going to start with you. Why don't you uh, tell us what uh, movie you saw and uh, what you thought of it? All right. Well, it's been a fairly momentous day for me. A few hours ago, I just came out of The Florida Project, the latest film by Sean Baker, his follow-up project to 
the 2015 film Tangerine, which was a film that made my top ten list that year. And uh, I will just come out in the open and say The Florida Project is my new number one of 2017. This is a great, great film. Um, it tells the story of a young girl who was about six or seven years old, and her name is Mune. And she lives at a hotel, a sort of rundown, shoddy motel right on the outskirts of Disney World. This is essentially a motel where um, tourists who are too cheap to stay at Disney World will stay, or just kind of vagrants or people that kind of live um, on the outskirts of Disney World. It's a pretty rundown place, and it's run by Willem Dafoe, who's excellent in this movie. Uh, his character Bobby is the, is the motel manager. He's sort of this uh, kind of he comes off as so, sort of aloof a little bit and cold, but he's actually quite warm-hearted toward the people that live at the at the motel. Um, so. Mune's life is uh, pretty simple. It takes place over the course of a few months during summer when she's not in school. And she has all this free time on her hands, so she kind of runs around with her friends. Uh, one of her friends lives beneath her. Together they get in various mischief involving fires and hide-and-go-seek and... Uh, nothing too significant, but uh, there are a few times when as a viewer you're kind of watching it and you're like, well, something bad is going to happen. Um, but I, without revealing too much, um, Sean Baker is a really intelligent director, and he kind of knows where your instincts are going, and so he is really good at making the story pretty unpredictable and, and hard to read. Um, so this main character, this little girl, lives with her mother, uh, whose uh, name is Haley, and she's played by Bria Vinate, who I see on IMDb has only done a couple of movies, and uh, the, this performance by the mother character is truly the best performance that I've seen so far in 2015. She is... Um, a really complex, multifaceted character. She is a woman who has obviously had a lot of struggles in her life, but uh, cares a lot for her daughter and, and loves her very much. And again, without going too much into the movie, you, you sort of see her life kind of spiral a little bit out of control and the consequences that it has on her daughter. Um, I'm trying not to reveal too much about this movie. Like a lot of great movies, it's really hard to capture why this movie is so good. Because you can explain the plot elements and the character elements, but this is a movie that is all kind of about mood and emotion and atmosphere. And just the way that it's shot, you know, it doesn't sound particularly cinematic being at a rundown motel in the middle of Florida, but Sean Baker has an incredible visual palette in this movie. It's full of great color, um, great saturation, and even though it sounds kind of gritty and depressing, you know, about this little girl who lives in this kind of rundown, shoddy area, it's actually full of life and very joyous to watch. Uh, the, it, it's, so it's hard to explain what is so great about this movie, but I can say definitively that it's the best movie-going experience I've had by far of any film in 2017. It is moving, it's deep, it's very funny, it's very unexpected, and I think by the end of this movie, um, you know, I... I didn't want to leave this environment, which is the kind of highest praise you can give to a film. It takes you to this world that you've never been to before, or you've never seen. And, uh, you know, great movies can catapult you to those odd and unusual locations and make you never want to leave. And that's exactly what this movie did, in spite of how unglamorous, decidedly unglamorous, certain parts of this uh, movie are. Um, I cannot give higher praise to it. I hope it wins Best Picture at the Oscars. I know that, that uh, they're running a pretty serious Oscar campaign for it, and uh, it deserves several nominations. Um, I particularly hope Willem Dafoe and Bria Vinate get nominations, and Sean Baker's direction. It's outstanding. I cannot recommend it higher. Four stars.
All right. That's high praise. That's high praise coming from you. All right, Todd, why don't you give us your uh, your movie review? Okay, uh, this last week I went to the theater and saw Thank You for Your Service, which is directed by Jason Hall in his directorial debut. It's uh, based on a biographical book by David Finkel. Uh, it's about post-traumatic stress disorder from uh, troops returning home from service. Uh, focusing on a character, Adam Schumann, played by Miles Teller, he is a highly decorated officer who uh, is coming home with uh, regret over a failed attempt to uh, rescue a fellow soldier named Michael Emery who was rendered hemiplegic uh, after he was dropped. And uh, there's a real like brothership aspect between him and his fellow soldiers. Like There are re some really good scenes about them uh, hanging out and stuff later in the movie that you can really feel like they, like they actually they have like, this really strong bond with each other. Uh, one of the other main characters is Solo Ayeti, played by Beula Cole, who uh, gives the best performance in the movie by far. He's He has a soldier with memory loss and uh, severe PTSD, and he gets in really deep with some drug dealers, and uh, is constantly pushing away his wife, played by Keisha Castle-Hughes, and uh, everyone who's trying to help him. And uh, there's another character, Billy Waller, who... Uh, ends up committing suicide because he finds that his wife's leaving him. It's uh, it's just like a really well acted uh, character study, and uh, Amy Schumer's in it too, playing the wife of uh, one of the soldiers. And she got really limited screen time, but uh, uh, she she's she actually shows that she can do something more than like her normal shtick. Uh, Jason Hall definitely shows that he learned some things from Clint when he was on American Sniper. Uh, this is actually a better movie than the Best Picture nominee is. It's a, it's a movie with really limited plot, which I actually really appreciate. It's sort of like The Messenger in that way. And uh, uh, another example of Miles Teller just showing he's the most exciting actor in Hollywood for someone under 30. I I don't know. It's a good movie. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a perfect movie. I... I end up uh, having it sort of right in the middle at three stars. All right, for my review today, uh, I saw the uh, big blockbuster that has won the box office its second weekend in a row now, and that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe film Thor Ragnarok, completing the trilogy of Thor films. The last time we saw Thor was in Avengers Age of Ultron. He was getting visions of his homeland of Asgard uh, being destroyed in some in some ways, which was kind of referencing this Ragnarok apocalypse that uh, his homeland was about to get. He leaves at the end of Age of Ultron to go find out what is going on, and we pick him up uh, during his journey... Uh, when he reaches uh, Asgard again, we uh, discovered that Odin has left, which leaves the throne of Asgard up for grabs. And because of that, we find there is a new character in town, and that is an older sister that we didn't know about named Hela, played by Kate Blanchett, who assumes the throne and is the goddess of death. 
throughout his battles with Hela, he ends up getting cast out of Asgard and lands on this planet called Sikar, which is like the universe's garbage can, where everything that is unwanted by other galaxies and universes kind of gets dumped here. He gets captured there and made into a gladiator where he finds, as it shows in the trailer, he finds his buddy Bruce Banner, uh, also known as the Hulk, played once again by Mark Ruffalo. And eventually they work together to try and get back to Asgard and save the day. This film is directed by someone you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think of uh, the MCU. It's directed by a uh, uh, up-and-coming director named Taika Waititi from New Zealand. Uh, as of right now, he's most known for films like Eagle vs. Shark and What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People. Those are his three main films, and then he gets Thor Ragnarok. Um, I like that they're kind of going outside the box here, and because they went outside the box, they made probably the best Marvel film since the first Avengers movie. I absolutely love this. The first two Thor films, I thought, showed that Thor was a character that was um, not really big enough to carry a movie, yet this, uh, this film proves otherwise. It's definitely a departure from the free previous two films. Um, it, uh, it definitely took some getting used to because they kind of changed Thor's character a little bit to make it work. He used to be the super serious one, like in the first film, he was this this fish out of water, and almost a Shakespearean Marvel universe. I mean, the first film was even directed by Kenneth Branagh, Mr. Mr. Shakespeare himself. In this one, he's much more lighthearted, he's self-deprecating, he's cracking jokes the whole time, and he almost resembles more of like a Tony Stark than a than what Thor is and it works it really does work from the uh, trailers you get this kind of psychedelic feel to it and it definitely has that to it but it definitely also works in the first scene you realize it's going to be a different Marvel film when Thor breaks the fourth wall and speaks directly into the camera um, for the first words of the film uh, I absolutely loved it it was a lot of fun it definitely took some getting used to um, but like I said, the best Marvel uh, movie since the first Avengers, and with everything that happened in this film from, you know, you have Tom Hiddleston back as Loki, you've got Jeff Goldblum basically playing Jeff Goldblum. Uh, there, is there another way Jeff Goldblum can be in a movie? Uh, I give this one three and a half stars. Uh, if you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok yet, uh, definitely go see it, especially if you're uh, into the superhero films. Even if you're not into the superhero films, I think this is one you're going to like because it is such a different film than all the other ones that have come out before it. So, Terry, do you, is it a requirement that you have to have seen the previous Thor films in, uh, to be able to enjoy this film, or can you come in kind of cold turkey? Good question. Um, it would be... It wouldn't be impossible... Uh, there are there are little bits of the story that uh, that you might miss out on. However, I don't think it's necessarily a requirement to have seen the other ones to to see this one. Partially because it's so different and it takes the story in such a new direction uh, 
the only thing that would uh, benefit from seeing the first two is getting some of the uh, some of the backstory that it kind of assumes you know. But honestly, after a little while, you'll be able to pick it up pretty quick. Sounds like there's three good options at the movie theaters this weekend. Definitely, definitely. So, uh, Zach, you gave Florida Project four stars? Absolutely. Best movie of the year to date. There you go. Todd, you had a uh, thank you for your service at three stars, correct? Correct. And I have Thor Ragnarok at three and a half stars. So there are our movie reviews for you guys. You can't top that. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Exactly. Power rankings. All right, it's time for our power rankings, and we have a special guest with us today for power rankings. It is Mr. Adam Daly. How's it going, Adam? Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm kind of nervous now, but I'm excited. Let's get, let's get into it. Yeah, I, I think this is the first time, like, online or in person, the four people of Almost Sideways have actually come together to talk about anything so this is a this is a monumental occasion right here it's like when al pacino and robert de niro had coffee and heat exactly exactly that's exactly. that's exactly what all of us were thinking also zach there we go <laughs> so for power rankings today <laughs> for power rankings today uh todd's gonna introduce our topic as it was his choice once again for correctly guessing adam's list last time uh, or at least the most accurate list so, uh, Todd, tell us what we're talking about today. Well, with the uh, release of Three Burials, or Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, I chose uh, the top five dark comedies. And that could be a wide range of definitions of what that could mean, so these lists should be uh, quite interesting. And so one of the things that we are doing with this is uh, uh, Todd and Zach and I have tried to predict what Adam's list is once again. And so we are going to uh, see how accurate we were as we go through here. Um, Todd probably is going to get it the most again because he knows Adam the best. So, But we're going to see what, we, what happens. We're going to see how we do. Todd, why don't you start us out with your number five? Okay, my number five is uh, the 2009 movie directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, World's Greatest Dad. And this is like the blackest of dark comedies uh, directed by Goldthwait. Uh, God Bless America was another great one that he did, and that almost made my list that just slept off. Rob one of Robin Williams' best performances of the later part of his career. Uh, it's about a father who tries to cover up uh, his son's death by uh, autoerotic asphyxiation by making it look like a suicide. So he writes a suicide note and sort of plays that off to like everybody in the school and everybody around so that it's not embarrassing and stuff and it's really bizarre and depressing and it's really funny at the same time and uh as a, a, a in the same way as a lot of like uh, high school uh, uh, so sagas go like his son becomes sort of like a cult hero and like a martyr of some kind and i don't really know any other director that could have directed this movie it's a, it's a great movie and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait's one of a kind, and that's my number five. World's Greatest Dad. Alright. That was one I felt really bad about leaving off of my list. Adam, why don't you go with your number five next? Uh, well, my number five actually is World's Greatest Dad as well. There you go, so Todd was right. <laughs> it was Adam pretty well. I, I didn't predict that. 
I, actually, I predicted that. I got that one. I got that yeah. one. There you go, Terry. <laughs> I uh, yeah. As I was right before we sat down, I was like, yeah, World's Greatest Dad is totally deserving for this spot, and Robin Williams is amazing in it. I think he's just gives a great performance, and it's definitely a dark comedy for sure. Definitely everything I Todd just said. It it's tough subject matter, but it comes across really funny and I think it's really well done how they were able to uh, portray it on screen so definitely World's Greatest Dad is one of my favorite dark comedies alright Zach number five first of all I want to applaud that pick that's an excellent uh, choice I feel bad about not including it on my own list um, my number five uh, is uh, Zack Snyder's interpretation of Dawn of the Dead from 2004 um, the original Dawn of the Dead is pretty funny too but this one I thought played a little bit more for laughs, and if you don't know the film, it's about a uh, zombie invasion, basically, fleshing zombies invading the world, and uh, it's about these group of refugees that take solace in this mall, and it's actually pretty funny. I mean, it's sort of a, a political satire about consumerism, um, and the zombies themselves are really funny because they're not really menacing, they're kind of slow and stupid, and a lot of the ways that they die, like their, their heads getting blown off, are really funny, and they're played for laughs, a la like Peter Jackson in the early 90s style of gruesome violence, so uh, pretty funny, um, dark, dark comedy, but there's definitely a comic undercurrent throughout. Alright. And Zach, you may have uh, remembered to put World's Greatest Dad on your list if you'd spent more than five minutes on your list. <laughs> Touche, Terry. <laughs> All right, my number five is uh, the 2007 film Lars and the Real Girl, starring Ryan Gosling. Uh, it's a wonderful movie about this really secluded introvert who never really associates with anybody until one day he shows up with a new girlfriend who is a internet-ordered sex doll that he treats like a normal person and the whole town goes in on it to try and help him cope with whatever he's dealing with. Uh, it is an amazing film. It's uh, not quite as dark as some of the other films on that, uh, that will be chosen, but it's a really funny movie. Ryan Gosling is absolutely incredible. It's one of the first times that I realized how great he could be. I absolutely love this film ever since I saw it for the first time. He was robbed of an Oscar nomination in 2007. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl, my number five. Okay. Uh, moving on right. to my number four. Uh, I have the 2011 movie by Quentin Depew, Rubber. And that is an absurdist horror dark comedy about a serial killing tire named Robert. Uh, the movie starts out with like a group of spectators who uh, who are in the desert who are given binoculars who are supposed to be watching a movie but the movie is actually just like watching this small town and watch the, this tire go and kill a bunch of people. He's got uh, psychokinetic powers and he's that he uses to stall cars and uh, make many, many heads explode. And uh, it's sort of intense in a, like a bad B-movie kind of way, but it's also really funny, and it's also kind of highbrow at the same time. It's really weird. Uh, it's about voyeurism and stuff like that. Maybe Holy Motors is the closest thing I can come to thinking of what it could be like, but uh, yeah. Depew is a crazy man, and this is an awesome movie. Uh, that's my number four. Rubber. I wish I had remembered that film, because I love that movie. 
It's one that it should have just stayed a short. It shouldn't have gone to the full length because it loses some of the stuff along the way. But yeah, I love that movie. All right, Adam, number four. I need to see that one. That sounds like pretty interesting. Uh, but number four, I have a film you guys talked about last week called it, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. I'm just trying to get under Zach's skin from last week. Uh, <laughs> Not a dark comedy or film about snow. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to get you a little rant, have you a little rant a little more. Uh, but no, number four, I have uh, a Mark Wahlberg film that I absolutely love that Todd uh, has turned me on about this movie. I just absolutely love it. Dirk Diggler and Boogie Nights. I absolutely love Boogie Nights, and I think it's a, a interesting film of uh, the uh, porn industry and what he has to do. Some really funny uh, scenes and performances in there as well, and I absolutely love it. As as um, yeah, so I think it's deserving of that kind of dark comedy aspect as well. So Boogie Nights. I think that one could have made our alternative snow movie list from last time. <laughs> it takes place in Los Angeles. There's no snow. <laughs> no, the, wrong the other kind of snow. snow list. The other snow oh. list. Oh, I see. Yeah, especially <laughs> at the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Zach, number four. Number four for me is a film from 2007 called Teeth by the director <laughs> Mitchell Lichtenstein. Uh, it's a great uh, kind of schlocky horror film about... Uh, a young girl, about 17 or 18, who's going through uh, some interesting issues with her uh, body development. Um, she actually develops uh, vagina dentata, which is the phenomenon of teeth in her vagina. So um, this becomes a pretty prohibitive problem in her sex life, in her burgeoning sex life. And uh, it's pretty funny, the repercussions that happen. There's a lot of castrations in the film, and um, it's pretty graphic at times. But, you know, it's an honest-to-goodness portrait of female coming-of-age that I think a lot of people can associate with. So, uh, Teeth, number four on my list. All right. <laughs> you, you all right there, Adam? You okay? No, no yeah, I just I know that movie. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> all right, number four on my list is one of the... Uh, it's probably the dark comedy of the 80s. It kind of helped uh, reinvent the genre moving forward, and that is the 1989 film Heathers, starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Uh, it's a high school film about uh, this bad boy who comes to town and falls for the one girl that doesn't fit in with all the other girls that just happen to be named Heather. And slowly but surely, all the popular kids in school start dying, and nobody knows why. It is... Um, it's one of those films that has no chance of being made today. However, it is, uh, it somehow pulls off this idea of, you know, school deaths and school killings as a dark comedy, and it really works well. And it's a, it's a fun movie. Um, Christian Slater shows uh, that he was just trying to be Jack Nicholson back in those days, which was completely fine because he was great at it. Um, it's a really fun movie. Heather's my number four. Good choice, good choice. Uh, moving on to my number three, I have the 1985 Martin Scorsese movie After Hours. Uh, this is a movie starring Griffin Dunn. It's, uh, but his character's name is Paul Hackett. He, uh, goes around New York in the middle of the night, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, in the Soho district, and 
I don't know, he's a word processor, and it sort of is about, like, his, like, misadventures in the middle of the night. Like, he tries to get on a subway, but doesn't have enough change because the, the price changes at midnight, and uh, he comes across a bunch of really interesting characters played by John Hurd, Terry Garr, Rosanna Arquette, even Cheech and Chong show up in this movie, and uh, it's, a, it's just a great uh, dark comedy, and it's also sort of dangerous at the same time it's sort of most similar in scorsese's repertoire to like bringing out the dead but it's but it's uh, a lot more comedic than that i yeah it's a it's a really underrated movie one of the under, most underrated movies of the 80s that's that's my number three after hours all right zach number th- or no sorry adam number three all right i have uh this film about with brennan uh or sorry uh yeah brennan gleason and colin firth it's in Bruges. I think this is a movie that gets overlooked quite a bit. Uh, definitely some d- darker characters, and uh, they just have to sit around in Bruges. And it's kind of interesting to see their interactions uh, with these characters. But I just think this movie is really funny as well. And I think my maybe my definition of dark comedies is a little different because as I'm hearing everybody else's uh, films, it's like I should have went with <laughs> some different ones. But I, I love in Bruges. I think uh, that's a a pretty good one. So, Inverge is definitely a dark comedy. Yeah, I really oh, like that okay. movie too. Okay, good. I'm glad it at least qualifies. <laughs> All right, Zach, number three. All right, my number three dark comedy is a film I just saw this past summer, and it that uh, immediately made me think of you know dark comedy list. Uh, it's an Australian film called Bad Boy Bubby from 1993, directed by Rolf Tahir. And it's a story about um, this uh, kind of mentally um, handicapped man who's 30, but he acts kind of like a child. And he's raised by his mother in this barricade, and she tricks him into believing that there's been a nuclear holocaust, so he can't go outside. Um, And when she dies, he has to go into the real world and kind of experience things on his own. And he has this really unique way of communicating. He'll kind of replicate what people say to him. So, like, when the policeman says, Don't walk there, Bobby! He'll, uh, he'll go up to the woman on the sidewalk and say, Don't walk there, Bobby! And so uh, he'll just kind of shout at people. And then by the end of the movie, he, com- he becomes the lead singer in this punk rock band where he screams all these obscenities and people really find it like amusing and disturbing. And he becomes uh, romantically attached to a nurse for um, people who cannot move their bodies. Bad Boy Bubby. See it. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> Number three on my list is actually number three on Adam's list in Bruges. Ah, oh, thank you. Uh, I yeah, I had to have this one on the list since we are talking about dark comedies because of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, this was uh, that movie is directed and written by Martin McDonough. His first feature-length film was this film in Bruges, starring Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Uh, these two hitmen that have to uh, spend some time in Bruges to kind of wait out a, uh, a situation that has happened. Uh, incredibly funny. Uh, so many great one-liners in there, even though it's making fun of things you shouldn't be laughing at, which to me is the exact definition of dark comedy. I absolutely love it. Uh, in Bruges, my number three. All right. Uh... Moving on to my number two, I have uh, American Beauty, the 1999 Oscar winner by Sam Mendes. It's uh, somewhat debatable whether you consider this a dark comedy or not, but I've always been more struck by the humor in the movie than I have about the dramatic parts, so uh, it qualifies for me. 
Uh, Lester Burnham is played by Kevin Spacey. As a, he's a depressed suburban husband who tells us in the very first scene that he's going to die. And uh, we watch him uh, clash with his unfaithful and uh, phony real estate salesperson wife and, uh, and her lover. And uh, he buys weed from the, the neighbor boy who's uh, the, the son of uh, Colonel Frank Fitz, United States Marine Corps, uh, who's the homophobic, abusive uh, ex-military man played by Brilliance with, uh, by uh, Chris Cooper. And uh, he has an infatuation with uh, his daughter Jane's best friend, Angela, who's a cheerleader with like an attention complex, who uh, teases Lester and is always bragging, bragging about her modeling career. Even though she was only in 17 once, and she looked fat, even so, she, but she still actually sees some goddamn Chrissy Turlington or something. Uh, it's written by, it's written by Alan Ball. <laughs> He's awesome. He did Six Feet Under. This is just one of the great movies of the 90s. <laughs> one of my favorite movies. American Beauty, my number two dark comedy, and yes, it is dark comedy. So Todd, did you hear that all the executives at DreamWorks are purchasing back all the DVDs of American Beauty so that they can replace Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer? <laughs> he might be a little too old at this point. They, they, they have, have the D make up him. Yeah, I don't think he could jog with the gyms. <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be tough. They have that de aging technology. They can just de age him. There yeah, like go. Robert De Niro and the Irishman. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Adam, you're number two. Well, this is kind of funny because number two is also American Beauty. Uh, just absolutely love this movie so much and there is a lot of funny moments in it a lot of crazy themes like like Todd was just saying infidelity as well as uh, liking uh, girls way out uh, under age and just but smoking weed and just a bunch of crazy stuff that happens and just absolutely I love this movie from start to finish and it's definitely one of my favorite movies of the 90s and also my top 100 of favorite films of all time I think it's everything about it is pretty awesome the comedy the drama stuff i just absolutely love this movie and yeah it has to be in my top five for sure all right all right zach number two all right number two dark comedy for me keeping with a theme that i've talked about earlier in this podcast is from 2015 uh tangerine by sean baker uh, really outstanding uh, film about uh, the lives of two uh, transgender prostitutes living in um, Hollywood. And, you know, the film takes place on Hollywood Boulevard, but it's not really the glamorous side of Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, so you might think with this kind of unglamorous, seedy sort of look at life that it would be a really kind of downbeat, sad, depressing, gritty film. And that may have been the direction that a different director would have taken it in. But Sean Baker ha adds a lot of levity to this story. And we see these characters in very kind of comic situations. I mean, I can think of one example where there's a character who uh, is hoping to get a, a transgender prostitute. And he finds out that it's actually a cisgender prostitute. And it's like a really funny scene. Um, and then there's this really funny moment at the end where all the characters kind of converge. And but there's themes about you know adultery and homophobia and all those things exist, but it's in a kind of very comic veneer. Um, so he takes some things that are very serious and adds a, a sort of comic spin to it. And it's a really funny film that's also very kind of sweet and gentle um, in a way that's 
kind of resembles the Florida Project to a certain extent, um, but a really well-made film, and I think with Sean Baker's stock really going up, more and more people will hopefully check out uh, Tangerine, because it's excellent. It was on my list of the top ten films of 2015. All right. Before I, uh, I reveal my number two, one uh, little bit of housekeeping we forgot to mention at the start of our, uh, of our power rankings. These are top five dark comedies not called Fargo, correct, Todd? That is correct. That that's gonna we cannot use Fargo in our power rankings ever. Yeah, yeah. Ever. After, now now that we've had had two in a row where it's like it it would obviously qualify at the top of the list, we cannot use it. So yeah, top dark comedies not named Fargo. Okay, just got that out there. Um, all right, my number two. Uh, I guess you could say is debatable whether you could call it dark comedy or not, but I'm going to call it one. And that is the uh, 2009 Quentin Tarantino film Inglorious Bastards. Uh, this is uh, a film about World War II where Quentin Tarantino kind of rewrites his own history. And it's got some very serious moments in it. However, it is so funny at the same time. Uh, from from Brad Pitt to uh, to Christoph Waltz to the Bear Jew to uh, so many different scenes, it's got the quirkiness of Tarantino to it, and I'd say it's probably one of his funnier films. One of the things I find oh, I find really funny about this movie is Mike Myers is in it, and I'm pretty sure Quentin Tarantino put Mike Myers in Inglorious Bastards just so he could say bastards with a British accent like he would if he was Austin Powers. Um, anyways, my number two, Inglorious Bastards. Funny movie, and I think definitely a dark comedy. It's an interesting choice. I wouldn't have thought of that. Uh, but do you agree? One, do you agree? Uh, debatable, but I mean, that's the whole point of this, so that's good. My number one is a, the 1964 Stanley Kubrick masterpiece, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. This is a comedy about nuclear war, and it is hilarious. It's the most intricate screenplay that Kubrick ever wrote, and uh, right down to the character names like Buck Turgidson, Merkin, Muffley, Jack D. Ripper. There's so much just in the names of the characters, you actually you all know everything about them just by those. And uh, Peter Sellers is amazing in his part. George C. Scott has all the great lines. I've always thought Sterling Hayden was the MVP, though. He's one of my favorite character actors. It's filled with classic quotes and uh, brilliant performances, iconic images. Uh, it's in my top 20 of all time. There's really nothing like it. It is clearly my number one dark comedy. I, I wish I could have put that one on my list, but I actually haven't seen Doctor Strangelove. What? Yeah, I haven't I seen know. it either. Not okay. What? I know. We should just stop this podcast right now <laughs> and watch it. Uh, yeah. Kind of boost, yeah, boot I, out the host. It's one. Yeah. Okay, Adam, number one. Uh, all right. Well, so I. You know, preparing for this list, I went to dictionary.com to make sure I understood what dark comedy was, and it says, El having elements of comedy and tragedy, all often involving gloom or morbid satire. So, one of my favorite movies with some dealing with divorce, depression, and board of character that has borderline alcoholic uh, nature is, of course, Sideways. And I uh, just absolutely love the characters. 
of Miles and Jack, and it maybe not like the most darkest of comedies, but I think it's really funny. We, we, I, we it's quotable, and obviously, almost sideways and sideways is uh, one of our names for our us as a, a group. Uh, but I just really love the characters and the the journey they go on and dealing with all these their different ish, personal issues as well. And got I got to put sideways on it, and I'm not drinking any Merlot, so. I did not get a single one of these right. <laughs> wow. I had two in common, and I did not get one right. <laughs> yeah, I have I a would have, some honorable mentions. <laughs> I would have had Sideways on my list, but Todd told me it wasn't a dark comedy, so I left it off. <laughs> I, 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 I checked on, I said dark comedies on, online, and Sideways came up multiple times, so that's the only reason why I put it on. There you go, there you go. The internet's never. I, I, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I don't think I'm, you'll get. I'm, I don't think you'll get any complaints from anyone about that choice. That's, nope. It's, it's just a good movie. It's just a good movie, regardless. <laughs> I, I think all this proves is Todd doesn't even know his own category. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I have a. I have a confession to make, though, Terry. I've never seen Sideways. <laughs> you today today you haven't seen Sideways today. Today, I haven't oh, seen Sideways. Okay, 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 okay. But you watched it yesterday. Uh, no, yesterday I watched Doctor Strangelove. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach, give us your number one. Well, I think it's uh, redundant um, if I name uh, Doctor Strangelove my number one because that's the film that defined dark comedy. So uh, I'm just going to agree with what everything Todd said and name a different number one. Um, I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. I agree with Adam's definition of a dark comedy. I think you got to think about uh, themes that are dark and macabre, <coughs> things like giving up your soul, selling your soul for fame, and uh, you know competition and envy and jealousy. And those words bring one film to mind, a little film from 1995 that revolutionized the film industry called Showgirls. When you think dark comedy, you think about unintentional uh, humor, um, humor that wasn't necessarily meant to be uh, funny, was maybe meant to be read as serious in a different time and place, but Showgirls is so full of laughs um, because of the great performances by Elizabeth Barkley and Kyle MacLachlan and Gina Gershon. It's the story of Nomi, uh, Nomi's ascent to fame on the Vegas Strip and uh, how she takes out her anger on a hamburger in one scene and there are other scenes when, when she learns how to dance and you know she's driven to this fame because of her strict regiment by the tune man from Speed and you know she's um, she's this tragic figure really if you think about it and it's a classic story about how fame ultimately eats you up on the inside so uh, when I think dark comedy um, actually when I really think about the canon of great cinema you really can't go any further than uh, Showgirls. And the great French New Wave director Jacques Rivette also called Showgirls the greatest movie of the 1990s. I don't know if I can go quite that far, but I will say it's the greatest dark comedy of all time. That didn't sound like... That sounded prepared. I think you already had that as number one. I think that was prepared. <laughs> that just it shows... a little rehearsed. That just shows how well Zach can BS. That's all it shows. <laughs> <laughs> and the Oscar goes to... <laughs> oh, okay uh, my number one is a film that's already been mentioned twice actually and that is American Beauty uh, for a lot of the same reasons 
that uh, that Adam and Todd mentioned. It it is a really funny movie. Um, I, uh, I I I love this film. It's uh, I think Kevin Spacey's character is really funny in it. Um, I'll just it's one of those situational uh, movies where just the real life situations that arrive arise in there are so funny just in themselves. Uh, I love that one. Number one, American Beauty, hands down. That's what it is. Okay, now. Before we uh, start talking about what our predictions were for Adam's list, let's get any honorable mentions out of the way. Uh, Todd, do you have any honorable mentions you want to share quick? Yeah, I have a, a 2003 film, Bad Santa. I have the 1940 Charlie Chaplin classic, The Great Dictator, and 2012's Seven Psychopaths. All right, Adam, how about your honorable mention? I had Seven Psychopaths. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, Thank You for Smoking, and American Psycho. Okay. Zach, uh, any honorable mentions for you? Do I, I dare had, ask? Uh, Spring Breakers, <laughs> Bubble, Blue Ruin, and uh, the great documentary, Kurt and Courtney. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, uh, my honorable mention, I felt so bad leaving all of these off my list. Um, Adaptation, starring Nicolas Cage. Um, the, I think it was just last year, Swiss Army Man, starring uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, World's Greatest Dad, which was mentioned. Uh, Burn After Reading, uh, one of the, uh, the sillier dark comedies from the Coen brothers. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, a, a favorite of mine that I don't think anybody else likes, and that is uh, Grant Heslov's The Men Who Stare at Goats. These are some very loose interpretations of the word dark comedy. But that's what makes this list interesting. Exactly, exactly. Okay, Blue ruins so now... Too, though, Zach. All right, now let's look at how we did predicting. So Todd and Zach both sent me their predictions ahead of time, so I know if the... I'll make sure they didn't change anything. Uh, but uh, Zach, why don't you start and reveal what you had as your uh, as your Adam top five? Well, I know I did better than Todd because I got at least one right. Amazingly, uh, my list was In Bruges, Train Spotting, Thank You for Smoking, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and Fight Club. Yep. All right. You got choice. one right, and. And uh, and thank you for smoking was on his honorable mention. Kiss kiss bang bang. I forgot about that one. That's a good one. I have it wrote down right there too, actually. So I was thinking. I should oh. get points for that. Oh. Okay, so like half points for honorable mention. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, all right. I was actually thinking about beforehand. Okay. <laughs> I had number five, Ghost World. I can't believe he didn't actually put that on there. Ah, uh, oh, that's a good one. Number four, good one. <laughs> kiss kiss bang bang. Number three, Snatch. Number two, and The Big Lebowski. Number one. Oh, damn. Oh, see? Yep. Yeah. There's a All lot right. of snatches right there, too. I was thinking of it, too. <laughs> so, so yeah, Todd, you didn't get anything, not even on the honorable mention. I know. That's one giant ofer right there. Ouch. Yeah. I'm not going to pick the oh. the category next time, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So, my, my list, uh, I had number one, Fight Club. Number two, American Psycho. Number three, World's Greatest Dad. Number four, Burn After Reading. And number one, or number five, one of the animated Batman movies, preferably one that has dark in the title. 
<laughs> you would be right 99% of the time. <laughs> it was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. <laughs> okay, I, so give him that a point means... for that. Give him a point. I, I, I think so I get a point for that. And then you so I think so, because... Yeah, I got one with an honorable mention, and Zach got one with an honorable mention, I think, right? Yes. I did. I said thank you for smoking. Oh. Right. Which was an honorable mention. Okay, so uh, I actually, I think... Um, in Bruges was higher on your list than World's Greatest Dad, so I'm going to say this one goes to Zach. Boom. Champion. I'm there the world's go. greatest podcaster. <laughs> for, for that oratory on showgirls alone. <laughs> All yeah. right, so there are our, uh, there's our power rankings. Let's, uh, let's recap our lists uh, one more time. Todd, give us your five to one. Uh, my number five was World's Greatest Dad. Number four, Rubber. Number three, After Hours. Number two, American Beauty. And number one, Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. All right, Adam. All right, I have number five, World's Greatest Dad. Number four, Boogie Nights. Number three, In Bruges. Number two, American Beauty. And number one, Sideways. Zach, go for it. Number five, Dawn of the Dead. Number four, Teeth. Number three, uh, Bad Boy Bubby. Number two, Tangerine. And number one, Showgirls. And for me, number five, Lars and the Real Girl. Number four, Heathers. Number three, In Bruges. Number two, Inglorious Bastards. And number one, American Beauty. All right, there are our power rankings for today. And Adam, thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me officially on as the fourth member of the band. I, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and of course you can catch Adam on his uh, YouTube channel Almost Sideways. He's got a lot of great stuff coming up, including your uh, Star Wars month coming up in just a little while, right? Oh, absolutely. whole month of December is going to be uh, Star Wars month. It's going to be eight videos, one or one month, eight videos, 30 YouTubers from around the world are going to be participating in it. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, if you guys are interested in movie reviews, trailer reactions, or ranking videos, definitely check out Almost Sideways on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. We're definitely growing a lot of really fast. I think we just crossed 630 subscribers today, so really awesome. Great, great. And yeah. then uh, you can also catch Adam on the Red and Brown podcast. Oh. Yes. Uh, we go every other week. Adam and, uh, and Ben go the off weeks where we're not on, so you can listen to him on that one as well. Absolutely, and we're going to be talking about uh, movie trilogies. We actually are recording our podcast next week, or th or this week sometimes. So we'll be talking about trilogies then. So be fun. All right. Yeah. Well, once again, thanks so much for uh, coming on, Adam, and uh, we'll catch you later. Absolutely. See you guys later. Now we're going to talk about uh, a segment we've done once before. We're going to pull it back out for this podcast, and that is cast the remake. Uh, we've been looking at uh, films that are celebrating anniversaries this year. Uh, last time we talked about the 25th anniversary of A Few Good Men and talked about what the cast would look like there. And I obviously dominated Todd in that excursion. So we're going to see if I can do it again. However, this time we're doing a film that is one of Todd's favorites. 
And that is looking at the 20th anniversary. Can you believe it's been 20 years? The 20th anniversary of Goodwill Hunting. Uh, yeah, Goodwill Hunting is uh, a movie that will never leave my top 10 of all time. It's uh, it's uh, it'd be a really interesting movie to remake because it's a very Boston movie and uh, a couple uh, a couple actors wrote the movie that uh, won an Oscar and it would be very hard to replace them. Uh, first thing you need to do when you're making the movie is come up with who's going to write and direct the movie. And for me, the, uh, Good Will Hunting is a movie with a lot of humor, but it's also a drama, so it makes it a little difficult to uh, come up with someone to replace the, the genius writer Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And so I chose the writer is a, a friend of the family of uh, Bostonians, Kenneth Lonergan, who just won an Oscar for Manchester by the Sea. He's going to be the writer of this movie. And it's going to be directed by someone who is going to make it a little bit different feel, and that's Todd Phillips, uh, the uh, director of such things as The Hangover and, most recently, War Dogs. He can uh, handle drama and comedy, and it would definitely give this movie a different flair than, uh, than it did before. Who's going to be uh, your writer and director, Zach? Well, it's an interesting direction that I already see it going. Um, I'm wondering if Will Ferrell will be a part of this cast at all. I decided to make my writer-director one person, one man who has been doing um, incredible work for the last few years, and that man is Ryan Coogler, who uh, was the writer-director of Fruitvale Station, Creed, and the upcoming Black Panther. I would be really excited to see anything he comes out with. Um, but based on his reinterpretation of the Rocky uh, universe, I would love to see the kind of reinterpretation he would have of Goodwill Hunting. Okay, that's an interesting choice. Gosh, Terry, what do you think? Those are such good choices. Um, I really struggled to come up with a writer. Uh, I thought about Ryan Coogler. He'd be a great one. I thought about uh, Kenneth Lonergan. I'm probably going to go Kenneth Lonergan as my writer because I have as my director Ben Affleck. Why not bring him back and have him direct the remake since he starred in and wrote the original? And now he's known, uh, probably has more notoriety for being a director now than an actor or a writer. So I would say Ben Affleck direct and, and let Lonergan write the script. All right, so in my movie, uh, directed by Todd Phillips, uh, my Will Hunting, originally played by Matt Damon, I circled around Anton Yelchin as my lead, but he's uh, deceased. And then I had Evan Peters, who is too old. And so I kind of circled back around to Logan Lerman, who is uh, an interesting younger actor. He was in uh, Fury, The Perks Being Wallflower, and uh, most recently in Indignation. He's a, he's a good actor, and I think he can he definitely pull off this role, except I'm, I'm not sure he could spit out the words fast enough that Matt, like Matt Damon does, but... Uh, he is one of the better actors in his age range, and if I can't choose Miles Teller, because I would choose him for pretty much every role of anybody mid-20s to mid-30s, uh, I would choose Logan Lerman to play Will Hunting. Yeah, I think at this point, Miles Teller is kind of a cop-out. So, in keeping in the spirit of Ryan Coogler's uh, interpretation of the Goodwill Hunting story, I wanted an actor who could bring a different kind of dynamic to the Will Hunting character, in particular a different racial dynamic and identity. And that actor that I selected 
is a fabulous young actor who I've only seen in one, technically two movies, although I don't remember him in the other movie. Uh, he was fantastic as the younger son in last year's film Fences. This young actor's name is Jovan Adepo, and uh, he is a great up-and-coming actor. He, As I look at his IMDb page, he was the cupbearer in Mother, which is curious. I don't remember him in Mother at all, but there were several people in that movie, so... Um, it maybe is understandable that I don't remember him, but I remember his turn so well in Fences. He would really bring that kind of youthful innocence to the role, um, but with also a sense of maturity, maybe a little bit beyond his years in terms of his intellect. So uh, Jovan Adepo, an up-and-coming star, uh, I absolutely see um, as Will Hunting. So it's funny uh, listening to the, the uh, people you guys went with, because I was thinking some of the same things of, uh, I thought about Logan Lerman in that role, um, I thought about going in a completely different direction of, uh, of going with someone with a, in a different race. I also thought about what would it look like to do Goodwill Hunting with a female lead. Um, but none of, none of the, the uh, actors I looked at in those, uh, in those veins seem to seem to fit. Uh, I'm not entirely sold on the choice that I made. But uh, I think this might be the person who would be cast in a film like this. Uh, my choice for Will Hunting is Josh Hutcherson, uh, most known for playing PETA in the Hunger Games movies. Uh, that kind of pigeonholed him a little bit. Before that, he was known for playing uh, in films like The Kids Are Alright. He's shown that he is an amazing actor, and he could pull off a role like this. The one uh, issue I would have with him doing it is he is kind of a shorter guy, and I don't know if uh, we want Will Hunting to be that diminutive however i think he has the acting chops to pull off the role i would have agreed with that statement about okay. five years ago moving on to uh ben affleck's character in goodwill hunting we have uh the character of chucky and uh that's an interesting character to try to recast for me because i i think it's ben affleck's best performance ever it's 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 uh sort of like a, a subtly serious role, but it's also uh, like a really fun role to play at the same time. And I kind of stumbled upon Eller Coltrane, who hasn't really done a whole lot since Boyhood, but he's uh, he's an interesting uh, actor, and I think that he can uh, give off the, the funny the part of Chucky and also a really subtle side of and serious side of him at the same time. Like, I could see him giving that that talk to Will, like, uh, outside the construction site about how uh, he wants him to move on with his life and stuff like that. I, I feel like there'd be a really touching scene there with Eller Coltrane, and uh, I feel like he, he can do that when he has to. And that's, I think that'd be as good of an option he can have in that, in that age range. All right. Well, my choice for Chucky would be Ashton Sanders, who played the middle-aged uh, Chiron in Moonlight. And uh, I just remember him being particularly striking in the film. He was very forceful and had a really nice demeanor about him. And I've always found the character of Chucky to be this kind of uh, hard character on the outside, but kind of a softy on the inside. And I think Ashton Sanders could bring that sort of vulnerability to, to the role. I see he was also in uh, Straight Out Compton in The Retrieval. Um, so he's, again, another up-and-coming actor. I was really impressed with him in Moonlight. I think everyone was, and it would be really interesting to see what he could do in this kind of supporting yet important role in the Goodwill Hunting remake. For me, looking at someone who would be playing alongside Josh Hutcherson in the Matt Damon role, uh, for Chucky, 
I chose the actor Dylan O'Brien, who is most known for the uh, Maze Runner movies, but also his uh, latest star turn in the new film American Assassin alongside Michael Keaton. Uh, he definitely is an up-and-coming actor, and I don't know, something about him just looked like he could pull this role off. Um, it was, it honestly, for Chucky, I was debating between Dylan O'Brien and Logan Lerman. Uh, but I went with Dylan O'Brien uh, as he's he's kind of this guy who's who's been getting these star roles and working his way up in Hollywood, and I think he'd be a good a good fit here. All right, uh, moving on to uh, the Oscar-winning role in the movie Good of uh, Good Will Hunting, uh, Robin Williams is part of Sean, uh, the uh, psychiatrist sort of, um, which is a difficult part to replace obviously and uh, but given the fact that I have Todd Phillips and just thinking about what that would look like I have a very outside the box choice of Zach Galifianakis playing this part and if you've seen the movie uh, it's kind of a funny story you could see that he is more than just like the obnoxious character that he is in like a lot of his other movies like he actually has a really like sincere side to him and he could uh, play a dramatic part also shown in Into the Wild he could do things that are subtle but it's a part that's really sad and serious but it's also a lot of moments of levity and another person I thought of that could possibly do it is like a Patton Oswalt or something like that but Zach Galifianakis I feel like could ab absolutely like disappear into the role of Sean and uh, I, I would really be excited to see that if that were possible I love that choice well, my choice is the character of Sean. Um, I, I went back and forth. I really wanted to pick Sylvester Stallone, um, keeping with my Ryan Coogler theme, but I just can't imagine people taking that seriously. So um, I also went a little bit outside the box, maybe even more so than Todd. And I picked a uh, relatively little-known German actor named Peter Simonischek, and I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he's pretty much unknown to American audiences, with the exception of a major performance last year in the title role that he had in Tony Erdmann. And uh, again, if you haven't seen this film, um, it's going to be unfamiliar to you, but uh, he's awesome in that movie. He plays this kind of larger-than-life um, father to the main character, and he does these very kind of comic things to kind of get in her head. And he develops this kind of alter ego, this um, alternate personality. And he's just kind of big and cuddly, sort of in the way that Robin Williams was. He's great at playing comedy. I don't even know if he speaks English, but I think he has a great look to him. He almost looks like a caveman, if you ever Google him. And uh, I think he could pull off the kind of comic pathos of the character, but with some dr dramatic overtones. And I would be interested to see this character as uh, non-American, too. So my choice would be Peter Simona check based solely on his uh, great performance in Tony Erdman. Dude, he's like 70. So he's what? Way too old. He's also German. Is that a problem? Like, he would have been too old if you were casting it when the movie actually came out. He's not that old. <laughs> they they made him look older. He was born for... in 1946. So that's probably when Robin Williams was born. Do you have a problem with his performance? Yeah, so if the movie was coming... If this movie was 1997, then you couldn't have had uh, well, maybe this Ashton is, Sanders. This is Sean 20 years later. All right. For uh, for me, 
One of the things I thought that uh, would have been interesting, well, and something else that you have to consider also, is that uh, the Robin Williams character and the Stellan Skarsgård character uh, were classmates or something, correct? They're like peers of each other? Correct. So what I was thinking, um, one thought I had that would be interesting that I didn't go with, but one thought I had was, what if the Robin Williams character was played by Ben Affleck and the Stellan Skarsgård character was played by Matt Damon? I thought that would be kind of an interesting twist on a remake here. Uh, but that's not what I went with. That's not what I went with. I went in a different direction. And for Sean, the uh, actor I pulled out was kind of in a similar, uh, it's kind of a similar vein as to Robin Williams in that it's more of a comedic uh, actor. Um, along the same lines as Zach Galifianakis, which I think might actually be a better choice than mine. But my choice is Matthew Perry. That's right. Uh, Matthew Perry, most known for playing Chandler Bing in Friends. However, he's also shown in, uh, in several films that he can have a little bit more of a dramatic side. And I think this would be a perfect role for him to show that in. I think it, uh, he has the right temperament to play a character like this. I think it would be a very fascinating uh, look to see Matthew Perry uh, take on this role. So I'm going to pick Matthew Perry to be uh, Sean. I hate Matthew Perry. I've, I've never found him funny at all. Uh, moving on to the next character, we have uh, Professor Gerald Lambeau which is played by uh, Stellan Skarsgård, which is another role that I found really hard to replace. I, I didn't really think it was going to be when I was actually thinking about it, but you got to come up with a, an actor who can be very smug and who, like, could be come off as privileged and, uh, and sort of have, like, the upper hand on the Sean character throughout the entire movie. And uh, I kind of eventually sort of... Uh, figured out it should be uh, Simon Baker which I'm not I'm not exactly sold on but I still I think it I think it's possible I think he has that kind of aura about him that he could be a professor he could be you know smug and um, and uh, I, I can picture a lot of the scenes between him and Zach Galifianakis being like very strange I could see them being like old friends but like uh, they don't really talk to each other all that much anymore and uh Simon Baker sort of has this that that sort of feel in like movie like Margin Call and stuff like that. I don't know. It's not a perfect choice, but I, I think it would be passable, and it, it wouldn't be like my infinite budget uh, casting. Well, what do you got, Zach? Well, um, in keeping with uh, my mix of Creed meets Grumpy Old Men, because apparently my Peter C Simonchek choice was too old for Todd. Um, I'm going to go with another actor uh, who's fairly uh, aged at this point, but who could um, use some nice career revitalization in the role of Lambeau, and that would be Robert Redford, uh, someone who, like Todd said, could carry an air of sophistication to the role and arrogance uh, and hubris, um, and uh, is in the same age as Peter Simonacek because my previous choice as Lambeau is probably too young, so um, I'm adjusting on the fly as we say. Just out of curiosity, who was your first choice? Liev Schreiber. But see, he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been classmates, though, with uh, Tony Erdmann. So, I do like that he was choice, though. Well, thank you, Terry. I like yeah. your choices, too. I don't care for Todd's, but... <laughs> Except you hate Matthew Perry. That's, oh, that's yeah, like... that's true. Well, yeah, that, that is true. <laughs> 
All right, my choice uh, for Professor Lambeau. Um, like I said, Matt Damon would have been an interesting choice here. I also considered throwing in like Alexander Skarsgård, just keep it in the family there. Um, but he's a little too young to be a contemporary of Matthew Perry. So I still kept with some sort of a theme, and my uh, Professor Lambeau is David Schwimmer. Just kind of reuniting <laughs> the Friends cast a little right bit. Here. Oh, what? I think we need to stop this right here. This is a Friends... This is just a means to an end to have the Friends cast reunite. <laughs> just those two. Just those two. And David really? Schwimmer has shown uh, that he can play a lot of the characteristics that are needed for this role. Uh, the one I always look back to when I'm thinking of, of what he can do is when he played Captain Sobel in the Band of Brothers series. He showed his smug sophistication and privilege throughout that role and i think he would be bringing some of the same characteristics to a role like this uh he showed that he can uh he can portray intelligence very well um i think he would be the the dynamic between those two seeing them in this different light than what you've seen them in friends i think would be really really interesting well, I think we know who your next pick is for the. That's uh, it. That's the only oh, bit. Oh, that's the only friends. We're not going to see. We're not going to see Matt Lebr LeBlanc in a uh, role here. No, no. Oh, what he got we're locked not gonna off. Going to see like Baby Emma as Skyler or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> Baby Emma right. Skyler. Anyway, speaking of Skyler, uh, that's the next choice we got to come up with, and that is. Um, that was originally played by Minnie Driver in another Oscar-nominated performance, and uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a really good role, and a, a role that isn't necessarily hard to replace. But you need to find somebody who has this like thing about her that like people want to be around her. Like she's really cool. She's not like super hot. She's not super smart, but she's just like really awesome and stuff. Like she needs to like fit in with a group of guys, and for me. That comes, uh, that, uh, is Alia Shawkat, who is probably most known for her role as maybe Funke in the Arrested Development series. And I could totally see her just, like, disappearing into this role of, like, almost all male cast members and, like, just being a really, really fun character and, uh, someone who would get along with Logan Lerman and, uh, and Ella Coltrane and just have it be a really interesting be really an interesting character for her to, to take on. She doesn't get a lot of these roles that often, so that's my choice. All right, well, I think one of the most important things to remember about Skylar is that uh, if we're staying true to the plot of Goodwill Hunting, she's not someone from the United States, and so I tried to look for an actress outside the immediate sphere of America, and I came up with one of the great up-and-coming actresses the last few years, Shisha Ronan, who is starring in uh, a new film of her own <coughs> coming up. Um, and I think Shisha Ronan would bring a lot of grace, versatility, and emotion to the role. Um, and I think it's an easy fit for her. And I'm not just picking her because she's Irish in the same way that Minnie Driver was Irish, but because um, she's also uh, very appealing and fun to watch and can be funny when given the right material. I like that pick. I like that pick. Yeah, I thought the same thing with you know making sure you uh, you pick a Skyler that would be that would have that British side to it. Um, 
I chose an, uh, an Irish-Italian-Iraqi actress. Like, you don't think that's not American enough? <laughs> Come on. Uh, valid point. Valid point. Anyways, my uh, my choice might be an infinite budget choice, but so is Sosha Ronan in that case. Uh, my choice for Skylar is Emma Watson, who's kind of the it girl ever since the Harry Potter series uh, wound up. But I think... Uh, I could see her and Josh Hutcherson having a lot of chemistry together uh, and being a good fit on screen. Because I think that's that's part of it, too, is making sure that your cast has good chemistry, and I could see that working out that working out well there. So Emma Watson is my Skyler. Yeah, that would definitely be infinite budget. It would be. It would be. Okay, uh, the final character we're going to cast is the role of Clark, played by Scott William Winters, although you don't really need to know that because you don't really know who that is. Uh, this is the guy who is the Michael Bolton clone and the uh, the Apples guy. Uh, he doesn't really have a whole lot of a part. He's got to be a really, it's a really dry character uh, and a guy who's got to come off like sort of an asshole. And so, to me, that is Martin Starr. Like, I, I feel like he would just own those couple of scenes uh you'd want to punch him in the face which is a good thing for this character and uh you'd want to root for will in those scenes and i could just see him being like yeah but you'd be serving my kids fries at a drive-thru on our way to a skiing trip and it's totally a martin star kind of role like that's my clark i'll have to believe you on that my choice for the apples guy what was his name again clark I, I don't even remember that him having a name, but... Neither uh, do I. <laughs> Todd would know that. Michael Bolton clone. Thanks, Todd. Uh, my choice is an actor who is um, currently starring in season two of Stranger Things in a scene-stealing role of Steve, the would-be boyfriend to Mike's older sister. Um, the actor's name is Joe Keery, and he's um, a real douchebag to watch on Stranger Things. He's really unlikable, and uh, he comes off as pretentious and um, really kind of mean-spirited. Although he has sort of a surprising turn in the later episodes of Season 2 um, that makes him a little bit more empathetic. But uh, he's someone that I definitely want to punch. Joe Keery. That's definitely the key, someone you want to punch. <laughs> I have I have two that I could not uh, pick between, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about both of them. Uh, my first choice for the apples guy is uh, young William Miller, also known as Michael Angarano. Ooh, good choice. I, yeah, I think he would he would be really good in uh, in playing the the resident douchebag. Uh, I think it would it would fit well. However, the choice that I think I like more uh, is uh, Glenn Powell who is most known for playing John Glenn in the Hidden Figures movie last year, but more notably, and the role that I think shows that he could play this, is he is no, he is also the one that played Finnegan in Everybody Wants Some, the Richard Linkletter film last year. The, the one that wouldn't shut up out of the group, uh, I think he would be an amazing choice for this role of this pretentious douchebag that you just want to punch. I think he'd be perfect for it. So there are my choices, Glenn Powell and young William Miller. 
Well, I think any time... Couldn't we just make young Will Miller, William Miller in the movie somehow? I mean, we, there's got to be a role for him, you know? Let's let's make him a star again. There's always a role for him. There's always a role for Patrick Fugit, too. He always needs to be in a film, too. That's true. Throw him a bone. All right, any last words, Todd? Uh, no, I, I like my cast more than yours this time, Terry. And uh, Zach's is a little head-scratching, so <laughs> I think we'll go with mine. Yeah, I, I, I do like yours pretty uh, pretty nicely. Um, it, I guess it's better than the Friends reunion, so uh, so we'll just go with that. And it's better than, uh, than Goodwill Hunting Black Retirement Home Edition from Zach. <laughs> hey, you know, the, the challenge in this list was taking the movie in a different direction. And I think Todd's list is very derivative. I think it's exactly what people would expect in 2017, so... You gotta have some individuality. Directed by Todd Phillips. Come on, that that is that's totally off the wall with Zach Galifianakis cast. Oh, come on, man. I think everyone's uh, yeah, everyone's seen. It's kind of a funny story. They know that, that that he can play that role, and I think Logan Lerman is an unoriginal pick. I I think you need to go outside the box a little more more. Although not as far as to to try to you know uh, resurrect the careers of the friend stars. We don't need that. Well, I could have just said that uh, that Robin Williams' character should be played by a 70-year-old German who doesn't speak English. <laughs> I didn't realize he was 70 years old, but I still stand by the pick. I like taking the character in a more, um, how should we say, geriatric direction. All right, moving on from that, it is now time for Oscar trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oscar trivia. Okay, before we get to our Oscar trivia for this time, our Oscar showdown between Zach and Todd, Zach lost our showdown last time, and so Todd had to pick a film that Zach had to watch, and have, and he needed to review it on this podcast. That film that Todd chose was the... 2002 Steven Spielberg film Catch Me If You Can, which Zach inexplicably hadn't seen before. So, Zach, I know you watched this film last night, I believe. Yes, I did. Tell us, tell us what you thought. Oh, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I didn't love it. Um, I thought it was a little slow going at first, but uh, I think it fits perfectly in the Leonardo DiCaprio, um, you know roles that he plays um it's the perfect role for him and uh i like that it comes at a time in his career when people weren't really sure you know he had just he had done the beach and taken a little bit of time off and so he comes back in 2002 with gangs of new york which i think he was really bad in because he had a bad accent and uh he's pretty good in this movie um like i said i think it's a little slow at first i also think it's a little over long it really should have been about 95 minutes i'm not sure why spielberg felt the need to enlarge it to this kind of behemoth structure but uh, it had some really funny moments and uh, it certainly took some creative and artistic liberties from the guy's life but uh, overall it was it was nice to see um, especially nice to see Amy Adams and Jennifer Gardner and Elizabeth Banks in these early roles so uh, a fun movie but uh, it's a shame that this movie got more Oscar nominations than Minority Report in 2002 that's inexplicable and unacceptable so challenge yeah this showdown will determine which one has a has a film that they need to uh, that they need to watch next time or before next time and review. 
last time we did the uh, films of 1979 that were nominated for an Oscar. Uh, the way we do this is I randomly pick a year, I plug it into a random number generator, I have no, uh, no control over what year is chosen in all the years of, of Oscar-ness. So, this year's, uh, or this year, this podcast's Oscar year is 1939. 1939 is what we're going with. Uh, again, this is the 1939 films that were honored at the ceremony that took place on February 29th, 1940. This was back in a time when there were 10 Best Picture nominees nominated every year. This was before they shortened it down to five. So, we have a lot of films to be looking at. It was a while ago, however, it is a pretty notorious year at the same time. So... <clears throat> I'll explain how the point system works again. We'll go through the major categories. We'll go back and forth. If one if one of them gets stumped on a category, the other gets a point. If the person who uh, who got the point has any more from the category, they can earn an extra point for every uh, every nominee they can get beyond what was what they were at when it stopped. And if we end up with a tie like we did last time, we'll go into some of the minor categories and see if we can pull any, any others out until someone gets one wrong. Okay. Are we ready? Yes. Sure. Todd, you do not sound confident right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're about to start. Todd, you are the reigning champ, so you have the choice. Would you like to go first or second? In the first category. I'll go first, then. Yeah. All right. Todd will go first. 1939 Oscars. Best picture. Todd, you start. Uh, that'd be Gone with the Wind. That is correct. The Wizard of Oz. Correct. Uh, goodbye, Mr. Chips. Correct. Stagecoach. Correct. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Correct. The women? Incorrect. Todd gets the point. Todd, do you have any others? Nanachka. Nanachka is correct. Yeah, that was the last one that I had. All right, the four you are missing are Dark Victory, Love Affair, Of Mice and Men, and Wuthering Heights. Best actor. Zach, you are first. Uh, Robert Donat. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Correct. Clark Gable, Gone with the Wind. Correct. Jimmy Stewart, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Correct. Was it Lawrence Olivier in uh, Wuthering Heights? Correct. Wow. <laughs> I, I give up. Man, that was impressive there. Todd gets the point. Todd, do you happen to know the last one? No. <laughs> this was a stacked category. 
You had Robert Donut one, who was the least known actor of them all. You had Clark Gable, Lawrence Olivier, James Stewart, and the fifth nominee was Mickey Rooney for Babes in Arms. Mickey Rooney. Impressive. All right. Todd, you are first for Best Actress. Uh, that'd be Vivian Lee, Found with the Wind. Correct. Uh, Judy Garland, The Wizard of Oz. Incorrect. Todd gets the point. Todd, do you have any of the others? Uh, Greta Garbo, Ninochka. Correct. Uh... Was it Betty Davis in Dark Victory? It was. Correct. That's as far as I can go. <laughs> Alright, the other two are Irene Dunn in Love Affair and Greer Garson, Goodbye Mr. Chips. Alright, the score right now is 6-0. to zero. Todd is winning. Uh, let's see here. I believe, Zach, you go first on this one. Best Supporting Actor. Thomas Mitchell for Stagecoach. Correct. Uh, Claude Rains and Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Correct. I give up. I, I don't I, I don't know. Todd is like just knowing enough to 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 stump you. Todd, you get the point. Do you have any more? I don't know any other ones known. Alright, we have Brian Ahern from Juarez. Harry Carey from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He plays President of the Senate. And Brian Donlevy from Bo Guest. So there you go. Huh. And it's interesting, Thomas Mitchell won for Stagecoach. Not Gone with the Wind and not Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but Stagecoach. All right. Best Supporting Actress goes to Todd. Evie... Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind. Correct. <sighs> Olivia DeHolivan for Gone with the Wind? Correct. Uh, Todd, if you pull one of these out, I think it, we'll just uh, stop the competition right there. <laughs> I think I think it's safe to say it's probably over. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't actually think I know any of them. Zach gets the point! Do you have any Moral more, Zach? Victory. I have no idea. All right, we have uh, Geraldine Fitzgerald for Wuthering Heights, Edna May Oliver for Drums Along the Mohawk, and Maria Uspenskaya for Love Affair. Best Director goes to Zach. You start this one off, I believe, right? Yep. Victor Fleming for yep. Gone okay. with the Wind. Correct. Frank Capra, Mr. Smith Goes Washington. Correct. John Ford for Stagecoach. Correct. William Wyler, Wilder and Heights. Correct. George Cukor for The Women. Incorrect. Todd, do you have the last one? I got nothing. Last one is Sam Wood for Goodbye Mr. Chips. Alright, we got two more categories here. Best Writing Original Story. Starting with Todd. Uh, Ninochka? Ninochka was nominated. It was not the winner, but you did get it correct. Well, uh, 
uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That is the winner, and I will give you a point for getting the uh, the winner when you had the opportunity to. Todd, do you have any more? Uh, yeah. I guess I would say Stagecoach. Incorrect. That's based on a short story. So Zach gets another point. Do you have any more, Zach? This uh, is best writing original story. Love Affair? Love Affair is correct. And uh, how about The Women? Anything? Nope. Oh, the Women's a great movie, man. 1939. Should have been yeah, nominated. Yeah, it's, it's not on there. The other two are Bachelor Mother and Young Mr. Lincoln. Hmm. All right, so our last category... So what they did, back then, they did not have Best Original Screenplay and Best Adapted Screenplay. They had Best Writing for Original Story, and then they had Best Writing for the Screenplay itself. So this last category is Best Screenplay. The last one was Best Original Story. This is Best Screenplay. Just overall screenplay. Who, co who goes first on this one? Zach, you go first? Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind was the winner, correct? Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights is correct. Stagecoach. Incorrect. Todd, do you want to try and get any more? How about the women? Nope. It's a great movie, man. <laughs> uh, no, the other three were Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And Nanachka, which were so both of those were nominated for both original story and screenplay, which is kind of interesting. Also, Gone with the Wind uh, screenwriter Sidney Howard was the first nominated and winning posthumous Oscar. Good to so know. with yeah, good to know. With that, with a final score of nine to four, you made it somewhat uh, somewhat respectable there, Zach. Nine to four. Todd is the winner. So Todd, you'll be coming up with a uh, with a movie that uh, that Zach needs to review on the next podcast. As the winner, I could pass the responsibility off to Zach to give me a movie, right? You could, you could if you want. That is uh, that is up to you. I well, we need to hear the movie first. All right, we are wrapping down this uh, this podcast. Uh, one last thing to uh, take care of, and that is our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack, you bastard. Quote of the day. Zach, why don't you lead us off with, uh, with your quote you're going to leave us with. Well, my quote of the day comes from uh, the movie that I picked as my favorite dark comedy of all time. That is the wonderful uh, Showgirls from 1995. And I'm going to pick a quote uh, said by the uh, gay choreographer as he helps Nomi get in shape for the big show. And thrust it! Thrust it! Thrust it! Come on, thrust it! Thrust it! And that's all I got. Probably the best line in the movie. And that is that saying something deep. there. That is saying something. All right, Todd. <laughs> quote of the day. All right, for my number one dark comedy comes... Uh, it was Dr. Strangelove, and this is a line by... Uh, Buck Turgidson, he says, If the pilot's good, see? I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that boy into the ground. Oh, you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, a big plane like a 52 Varum. 
It's jet exhaust. Frying chickens in the barnyard. That's George C. Scott. Genius George C. Scott. Awesome. Awesome. I really need to see that movie. I do. Hey, can, how about we just, how about Todd and I decide that that's the film you have to see? Dr. Strangelove. Strange I mean, that's, that's pretty unacceptable that you haven't seen it. Okay, all right. I can I can make sure I it's up to uh, it's up to Todd. Watch that by the Todd, next time. Todd would have to. Uh, yeah, I, I'll I'll sign off on that. So that so that's the uh, that's what has to happen is I have to watch Doctor Strangelove. Yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. Duchin would approve, Terry. Duchin would approve. <laughs> all right. Well, for my quote, I uh, I went with the most quotable film on my dark comedy list, and that is In Bruges. Uh, this quote comes from uh, from Ray, played by Colin Farrell. I thought about trying the Irish accent, but I would just butcher it. So, uh, this comes after he meets uh, a couple of his new friends in Bruges. One of them is a little person. And here is, here's the quote. A lot of midgets tend to kill themselves. A disproportionate amount, actually. Hervé Villachez off of Fantasy Island? I think somebody from t the Time Bandits did... I suppose they must get really sad about, like, being really little and that people looking at them, laughing at them, calling them names. You know, short arse. There's another famous midget. I miss him, but I can't remember. It's not the R2-D2 man, no. He's still going. I hope your midget doesn't kill himself. Your dream se sequence will be effed. He doesn't like being called a midget. He prefers dwarf. This is exactly my point! People going around calling you a midget when you want to be called a dwarf? Of course you're going to blow your head off! So, there's my, uh, my little bit of dialogue from, uh, from in Bruges. They're, oh, they're filming midgets! They're filming midgets! I like my line the best. I also like my, uh, <laughs> Goodwill Hunting cast the best, so... Alright, well that's all the time we got today. Thank you so much again for listening. Rate us, review us. Uh, listen to us. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks uh, with my report on Dr. Strangelove, it sounds like. And, uh, anyways, thanks again. We'll catch you next time. So that was a disaster. Catch you on a Monday.